Acts, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. And the Apostles were guys, there's a couple qualifiers for them. Uh, they were eyewitnesses uh, to the resurrected Christ. They were specifically commissioned by him, and they performed signs and wonders. And so uh, these are the guys who are responsible for uh, the, the birth of the early church uh, in, in the midst of intense persecution and uh, very tumultuous times, um, both in uh, where they were stationed and also in their travels, as we'll see today, uh, with the Apostle Paul. Um, now, Apostle means the sent out ones. Um, and so these are, these are the guys who were going to the ends of the earth. And um, for Paul, the, the focal point was Rome. This is where he wanted to get to, as we'll see in the beginning of our passage today. It says that we set sail for Italy, because at the time... Uh, that Rome was the concentration of power uh, in, the, in the first century. And so he wanted to get to Rome because he was appealing to Caesar. And also, Paul is a voluntary prisoner in, in this, in this uh, passage. Uh, it sounds crazy to us, but, but, but Paul uh, took on chains willingly uh, and challenged authorities willingly because he believed so passionately in the spread of the gospel. And so that, that's sort of a backdrop of where we're heading today. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and throw up the main point uh, on the screen, if you'll do that for me, Natasha. When you've lost all control, have faith. Now, the reason for giving you the, the main point beforehand and, and repeating it throughout, uh, I don't know if this is original to Tim or if, uh, if uh, it, might, it might be uh, Andy Stanley um, in, in his book, Communicating for Change. I think he said this. But you want your people uh, who are listening to your sermon, your message, uh, to be able to wake up in the middle of their sleep, uh, in the middle of the night, and be able to recite the main point. So what was the sermon about yesterday? Yeah, and so this one, particularly if you have sleep panic disorder, might be a good one for you. Yeah, you know, wake up if you've lost all control. Have faith, um, and so uh, that's going to be our main point, and that's where we're going to be headed today. Now, uh, I know that in our greeting time, you, you all shared with each other a, a, a story about in your travels when uh, you know you endured some sort of hardship or you you encountered some sort of problem. Uh, for me. And, and, and this is a story that probably best relates to, to what Paul goes through in this passage of Scripture. But uh, I was driving to Tuscaloosa. Imagine that. Uh, and uh, I, was, uh, I was heading down 2059. And the rain was kind of heavy. And it started picking up, getting a little heavier, a little heavier, a little heavier. And all of a sudden, it was just this torrential downpour like uh, none that I've ever experienced. And so bad that people were putting on their hazard lights and slowing down to about 20 miles an hour. No one could, could get... Uh, going any faster, and I should have been more weather aware, just as a, as a confession to you guys, but um, I was very determined to get there. I can't imagine why. Um, but uh, all of a sudden, uh, it went from torrential downpour to I almost, I felt my car get lifted from the left lane into the median, and, and all of the cars around me, there's this huge gust of wind, and everybody was repositioned one lane. And we were like, you know, and everybody just kind of stopped. And, you know, after, after about 10 seconds, the wind died down. And, and uh, everybody just went along their way. Uh, and, and I turned the radio on. And second only to hearing the voice of, the audible voice of God, there's one voice of hope when the weather, when the weather is bad. And that is the voice of James Spann. <laughs> Who can relate to that? Yeah. Um, the guy with the suspenders, right? Um, and he says, you know, there has been a, uh, a tornado touchdown in McCullough. And I was like, yep, that's where I'm at. Uh, and so, um, you know, we, we made, it, made it through the tornado and pressed on to Tuscaloosa. Um, but uh, that was a time when, when I, was very, I was in a very vulnerable state. I was in a car, right? 
Um, but, but Paul is even, even more so in a vulnerable state because he's aboard a wooden ship in the first century in the middle of the Mediterranean, and a storm hits, right? And so um, before I give away too much of the story, let's, uh, let's read through Acts 27. Um, I'm going to go all the way through, uh, and, and we're going to make some observations as we go through the text, and then we'll get to the application at the end. Um, starting in verse 1, it says, When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go for his friends so they might provide for his needs. So Paul is a very privileged prisoner, right? He's earned a lot of favor uh, with uh, the soldiers and with the, uh, the crew that's aboard. And so Paul is getting some luxuries that most prisoners do not. So from there, we put out to sea and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Now that should be a sign already. It's just some foreshadowing that this is, <laughs> we're going to get some resistance here, right? When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Sicily and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Dinus. And when the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. Now, if, if you will, uh, we go ahead and, and, and uh, show the map uh, just to give you guys some context about where they're going. Um, I've got my fancy pointer here. We're going to go to this screen. Um, so uh, the guys are starting off the, the coast of Turkey, and their ultimate destination is up here in Italy, right, in, in Rome. Um, and so we kind of get a, a concept of uh, the direction they're heading and, and all of that. And so um, that first part of the passage was just to, to serve to give us some geographical markers, right? Um, now, uh, here's, what, here's what I'll say about, about this next part of the, of the passage. You know, Acts is, the book of Acts is very narrative-driven, and uh, Luke, who authored Acts by the power of the Holy Spirit, was a physician. So he is a very detail-oriented guy, and he goes into a whole lot of detail about a story that it almost seems kind of out of place in the book of Acts. Yes, we're following along a storyline, but he takes a, um, a very extensive amount of time to describe just this one journey. You know, he probably could have summed it up by saying, yeah, Paul made it to Rome with great difficulty. <laughs> but uh, I think that there's some, the, the, the reason for why he went into such great detail, I think because there's some symbolic uh, and just some conclusions that we can draw from this and some life application that we can draw from the actual events of the story, right? This is the Acts of the Apostles, Right? This is not the theological dissertation of the apostles. This is what was actually done by the sent out ones. And if you remember from the verse that Trent, Trenton read at the beginning, he said, from generation to generation, God, your mighty acts are proclaimed. And so Luke is proclaiming the mighty act of God in delivering Paul in this storm. And so uh, let's, uh, without further ado, let's get, let's get into that. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. So in the words of Paul, he's not very optimistic about how this is going to go, right? 
basically, uh, you can't say anything more drastic than, we're all going to die. But that's what, that's what Paul says in this instance. And so, um, not, not a very good outlook for the, for the journey. But Paul's not afraid of death. He's already told us that. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, that's a Roman commander, he followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Listen to the professionals, not the crazed religious prisoner, right? Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. And there was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. And when a gentle wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed out along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. Now, if a weather event has a name, you know that it's very significant and poses a very big threat, right? I had no idea what a nor'easter was until I was serving uh, in the Go Love Tell initiative in Maine. And uh, we, were, we were up in the northeast, and a lot of things about New England culture were new to me, um, like lobster rolls and, um, you know, Red Sox baseball. I got to experience all that. But um, one of the things that I learned up there about the nor'easters when we were at the University of uh, New England uh, their mascot is the nor'easter. I was like, oh, that's not very intimidating. It's just a directional mascot. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is a, uh, a macro cyclone. And it, the, the reason it gets its name is, is because there's a huge gust of wind in the, in the, uh, the counterclockwise rotation of the, uh, of the sail of the storm. The most intense is the northeast blowing wind. And so... If you remember from the map, they're heading towards Rome, and so a northeast wind would blow them out into open sea, right? A very strong wind would take the ship, and they were kind of island hopping and staying close to the land because they knew it wasn't a good time to sail. Uh, these, were, these were professionals, right? But they couldn't have predicted that this massive storm was going to blow them out into the open sea. And so we see symbolized in that the vulnerability that they're exposed to and uh, just... Being in a very dangerous place. And so, with that, we'll we'll go on. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. And so we gave way to it and were driven along. They were just like I was in my car, at the mercy of the storm, so were they. At the mercy of the storm. And as we passed through the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard and then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men should have taken my advice and not set sail from Crete. That's a very comedic moment for Scripture standards. Paul just gave him the big, I told you so, right? Like, I've got this thing, it's called the Holy Spirit inside of me, and he's kind of, he's letting me know things before they unfold. So you probably should listen to me, right? I don't know that that was Paul's attitude necessarily, but he, you know, made it a point to say that that was not his advice from the get-go. He said, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. To them, the men are are scared for their lives at this point, I'm sure. Paul, we know, is not. Um, He he is uh, 
you know, probably under some distress, but, but ultimately uh, he, he has it in a proper framework because he knows that his future is secure. But for these guys on the board, they, they, they probably came from a wide range of, uh, during that time it was very popular, uh, the, the mystery cults and the, the pagan gods that they worshipped. Um, they, they probably would have seen this storm and getting caught in it as some act of retribution towards them. And they probably would have had all these superstitious beliefs around what's going on. And we'll clear some of that up later. Uh, but, but Paul is trying to speak to them in a moment uh, of, of great distress and despair. And a lot of times that's what it takes to finally get to, to finally listen to somebody, right? I didn't turn my radio on to listen to James Spann until I was in some great moment of need, right? But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. How is that going to happen? <laughs> Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you all the lives of, uh, given you the lives of all who sail with you. So in other words, Paul, you're being called to this greater purpose. I have to get you to Rome so that you can stand trial before Caesar like I promised you that you would get to do. And with that, as a consequence of that, everybody else is going to be okay too. Right? And so in, in this sense, Paul's presence is a source of salvation for the crew. So keep up courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, and when about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took some soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep, and a short time later, they took soundings again and found it, it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. The low-life sailors, man. <laughs> Pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Uh, so the, the, they're trying to make a great escape and get away from this. They didn't have faith in what Paul was saying. So then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. And so the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. So, so Paul, even now, has his own, uh, his own enforcers. He's, he's taken so much command of the ship that you know, the, the guys who were calling the shots before are like, we're getting out of here. Uh, this crazy guy is not going to be able to deliver us. But then he takes the, the force of the soldiers and said, hang on, shut that down. Um, you know, if, if, if we're all going to make it, we're going to make it together. Right? And so just before Paul urged them all to eat, uh, for the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. These guys are likely very delusional. Um, now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. And not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. So you see a, an extremely everyday normal act of breaking bread and eating together in the midst of this horrible storm uh, that's raging on for two weeks um, and, and, and this disaster that, that struck the crew and when uh, you know, they, it said that they had abandoned hope that, um, you know, that, that, that they saw no hope of being saved. And so They were all encouraged and ate food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. 
And when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. So this is a last supper of sense, right? When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. Again, Paul is a source of salvation for this crew. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. And then the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached safely and lived happily ever after, right? <laughs> so we've just, uh, we've just walked through this passage. Let me, let me reiterate, re- reiterate the main point, And that is that when we've lost all control, have faith. Right. Let's uh, let's break down the application of that and, and um, try to contextualize that to fit our time frame and what this story and what this passage can mean for us. Because it's hard for us uh, maybe to connect with the uncertainty that Paul was dealing with because we live in a very predictable and controlled time frame. Right. Um, we, we we have a, a lot of we have access to a lot of information. You know, Paul Paul couldn't just tune in and, and listen to what's going on on the radio. Uh, or um, you know, pull out his weather app and, and see what the, the weather blog says. Um, he he's very much uh, susceptible and vulnerable in this place. But um, at the same time, maybe we can symbolically connect to this. Uh, but because sometimes it's hard for us to understand what's going on in our lives. Sometimes we feel so far uh, things that are so far out of our control that when when we take one step forward, sometimes we take two steps backwards right after that. And so. Um, I, I want to I speak to those of you in the room today who are, who are sensing that, who are feeling that, who are experiencing that right now in your life because I think that there are some profound implications of this story uh, in terms of how we deal with the events that unfold in our lives. And if, uh, if any of you have taken a psychology class um, or you know, maybe you have some interest there, uh, part of human nature is the internal and external locus of control, right? Uh, the, the, the classical example for this is, let's say you take a test and you make a bad grade. I'm sure that's happened to at least one of us in the room, right? If not all. Um, I don't know, there's some of you out there who, who uh, think a 90 is a bad grade on a test. Um, but the, the internal processor would say, um, I should have studied more. I should have gone to class more. I should have um, I should have done this, I should have done that. Whereas the external processor would say, you know, this professor is really hard, and um, you know, I got you know, sick this week, and I wasn't feeling well when I took it. And so, in other words, the, the reason for my poor performance is because of all these external forces, whereas the internal person processes and says, no, the reason this is happening is because I didn't do what I was responsible for, or... Um, you know, I could have done this differently and made a different decision. Now, if I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that Paul necessarily identifies with either uh, of, of 
these patterns in this passage. I think that um, when you you respond with faith, I think you're able to transcend some psychological barriers, right? And um, if Paul had taken either one of these to a negative extreme, he would have tried to manipulate the situation, or he would have tried, um, you know, maybe to pull a self-righteous card of, "Hey, I'm the Apostle Paul, and um, you know, everyone should listen to me." Instead, he he um, he waits for God to vindicate him, right? Um, and, and as we identify with him, uh, the, the the first point is maybe. Uh, you, know, you are in a place in your life where you've lost the authority to make decisions that affect you and others. I'll give you an example of this. I had lunch with a friend this week, and he uh, has been in a company for a little while, and it's a new startup. And he was in a position where he was one of the, the newer guys, or he was one of the, when the company was new, he was one of the guys who came on, and he hired out this whole division. And all of a sudden, recently, two guys that he hired and trained up were promoted above him, and they were his bosses now. And uh, you know, he's a believer, and his boss is not. And so he just looked at me across the lunch table, and they, they don't train you this for this in, in seminary, by the way. Uh, he, he looked at me and said, Hey, uh, how do I respond to this situation? I'm about to go into a meeting that determines uh, my future. Um, I'm either going to leave this company or I'm going to stay, depending on how my boss responds. I said, well, I mean, it sounds like a, a situation of you're subject to bad leadership. Um, and so, I, naturally, I took him to the point where, uh, you know, I took him to the story about Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. Uh, and then I, I took him to the story where Jesus said, you know, uh, if a soldier asks you to carry his stuff, take it an extra mile. Or if they strike you on the cheek, give him the other one to strike. So, Jesus was, was very much situationally aware. Okay? He knew, he knew when, when to, to be passive. He knew when to take initiative. And so, um, in this sense, he was led on by the Spirit of God uh, to, to, because he was God in the flesh uh, to, to make these decisions, right? And to make these calls. And so, um, you know, we, our, our conversation obviously went deeper than that. And, and you know, we don't have time to, to talk about it. And, and it wasn't a perfect response. It was just what I had on the fly. Uh, which, a lot of times, is what ministry is anyways. Um, but... Uh, you know, Paul is in this place where he's, he's lost authority uh, to, to make decisions. And maybe some of you in your life, uh, whether it's a bad boss, whether uh, you know, it's something going on at work, something going on at home, you're not in a position of authority and, and it's negatively impacting you. Right? Um, how do we respond to that? And, and I think Paul demonstrates some amazing patience through this. Um, and, and he also, he turns the table on them. You know, that um, instead of becoming a victim of their poor decisions, he steps in and his faith saves them. That's the redefining power of faith in response to poor leadership, in response to circumstances that are out of your control. Now I think this, the, the second part to this, um, or actually before I, I get to that, um, we also see in, in, in Paul's writing, uh, he says, Slaves, obey your masters. Right? If you remember that passage of Scripture. And I remember reading that and thinking, I was like, is the, is the Bible um, justifying the institution of slavery here? Is, is, that, is that what it's saying? Absolutely not. But the point was, in, in, in Paul talking to these people who were, who were um, either prisoners or slaves and telling them to honor their masters, was, was not to... Um, 
you know, to serve them anyway. It was, it was to uh, be a testimony of faith to their masters, right? To be a testimony of faith to people who are in authority over them, right? He says the same thing about our, our government, right? Render, render to Caesar, or, you know, render under Caesar what is Caesar's. So that, you know, faith, faith allows us to see a bigger picture that, um, you know, not necessarily of bringing us relief automatically, but responding despite the circumstances. I want to be a testimony and a light to Christ. The second part to this is um, the symbolism of the storm. This is an, an indiscriminate force that's going to take out anybody in its way. Right? And I think this is where God's goodness is most challenged by skeptics or uh, people who are non-believers. Uh, they want to say, how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or to happen to humanity in general? What's the explanation for childhood cancer? What's the explanation for uh, the lady who lost her husband in their, in their prime and their years of, of life and marriage together were cut short? This just seems so senseless, right? How can God be good and all that stuff happen? I'm sure a lot of the crew were, were, were thinking this too when they, were, when they were with Paul. And the solution to this, the explanation to this is really simple. We live in a fallen, broken world. And, and, and that comes across as really trite uh, sometimes to, to people who are hurting. So I wouldn't necessarily say walk into a, 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 uh, a room where you know, someone is on their deathbed and say, you know, this is just happening because of the consequence of sin. Yeah. No, no one wants your theological analysis at that point. They really don't. Um, they're hurting people. And, and uh, th- I learned this yesterday. We were um, running our, our... I'm the associate rec minister here at Dawson, and we were running our upward basketball league, and I was sharing the halftime devotion with the families. And we're walking through the story of the gospel, uh, and I drew uh, the topic of sin, of course. Um, yeah, me and Tommy are rotating, and uh, I, you know, I got to, got to, to talk with them uh, about how sin has affected everything in our world, and uh, how everything that's gone wrong is a is a consequence of the fall, and you know it was really easy to uh, to talk to the parents of the third through fifth graders about how their kids were sinners and needed Jesus, because uh, <laughs> I went downstairs during picture day and they're running all around like crazy, um, but you know to the K through second grade girls, you know their parents like sweet little girls. I, I mean I just didn't have the heart. You know it's like oh my gosh, like how do you say this? You know. Um, but, you know, this, this is something that we're naturally born into. You know, your, your child hasn't done anything wrong, I promise. Um, but uh, fallen creation is, is the reason why indiscriminate forces uh, take control from us. They um, afflict us and affect us. And, and I think that that's what, um, what's characterized by this storm. But also in this, Paul views it as an opportunity to, sh- to share faith, Right? He views it as an opportunity to say, you know what, my faith, faith in my God transcends this catastrophic event. Faith in my God transcends the bleak uh, outlook. And, and, and faith in my God transcends this life. That's why he was bold in the face of death, right? In Hebrews chapter 1 it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and confidence in things not yet seen. You know, I, I hear a lot of people uh, talk about 
positivity. That's kind of been a buzzword in our culture. You know, I'm just trying to stay positive. Um, and, and, and positivity is kind of taking on this sort of new age feel to, um, you know, do good, be good, you know, karma, all that. Um, but ultimately, Paul wasn't optimistic. Paul wasn't staying positive. Paul was responding with faith. It's totally different. It's totally, totally different. If you remember uh, from, from Mark chapter 14, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Mark chapter 4, um, Jesus is, is faced with a, a similar uh, natural disaster. It's a, a storm that comes over the ship when the disciples were there, and um, Jesus is asleep uh, on the boat. And uh, even in the midst of the raging storm, and they wake him up, and he comes up, and uh, he makes the wind and the waves obey him. He just puts it to rest right there. And uh, the disciples are obviously astonished. And uh, Jesus looks at him and he says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Because in the midst of the storm, they're waking him up. Jesus, 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 please help us, please help us. He said, Did you not have faith that I would deliver you from this? You know, when I've read that passage in the past, I always uh, thought that it was mainly about how Christ... Uh, had authority over nature and had authority over creation because he made it. But as I looked at it this time, it's also a story about how the disciples lacked faith and how we in the place of the disciples can lack faith sometimes. In the midst of a storm in life, um, we're, we're waking them up like, Jesus, Jesus, you know, we're on our knees every day. Jesus, please help us, please help, please help me in, the, in this time of need. And, and don't get me wrong, God delights. Jesus delights in delivering you from, from uh, the storms that you're in. He delights in coming through for you. But it's in His timing, right? And man, that can, that, can, that can sound like a cliche if you're in a place of hurt right now. But I promise you, look at the example of Paul. Listen to the words of Christ. When we respond in faith, God delights in coming through for us. And also, it just is a theme of Scripture... Faith is a saving force. Faith has saving power. You know, when, when uh, the woman uh, came to Jesus when he was having uh, dinner with the Pharisees and she's crying so much that uh, you know, she's using her hair and it's, it's enough water to, to, to be able to wash his feet right there. It's just this really messy scene. And he says, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Our faith, when we respond with faith, it has saving power. And we see that in this story. If you would just have faith in my God, you would be saved from this. Not a single piece of hair will be missing from your head. It might be a little wet, because <laughs> you have to swim to the shore, or you have to ride a piece of, uh, a piece of the ship onto the shore. Um, but you won't lose a single hair from your head. And lastly, I think faith enables us to see the big picture. You know, when, when, when Paul's able to say, look, um, I endured this for the sake of the gospel, right? I endured this um, because I want to see people come to faith. I want to see people, uh, you know, watch me as, and, and how I respond. Um, faith transcends psychological, emotional, and circumstantial barriers. And so if you're in a place today in your life... Um, where 
when I showed you that map earlier, you saw the, the big storm part. You feel like you're either heading into that, you're in the middle of it, or you're coming out on the backside. I hope that you would be encouraged today by the, by the example of Paul and by the testimony of Scripture to respond with faith. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And we thank you that you don't leave us where we are. But you have a great destiny for us. But on the way to that, we have to endure some hardship. We have to face some resistance. And I pray for the the people in this room as uh, they go out this week. As they're experiencing this moment with you right now, I pray that you would speak comfort into their hearts. To remind them that you have everything in control when things seem so far out of their grasp. So Father, give us the the boldness to respond with faith. Give us the eyes to see through the lenses of faith. Because things are not as they seem. Father, we love you and we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.